So we, uh, we were traveling, obviously, until just recently, and um, got back on, on Sunday night, and we have a lot of stories to tell, and we want to fill you all in on everything that went on in Burundi and Rwanda, and uh, we're going to do that on the 26th. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and finish the series that we're doing now, and then on the 26th is the time that we're going to kind of make a, a formal presentation as a team. We will be able to uh, talk about all that went on, maybe show some video, maybe some uh, uh, some photos and whatnot, and give a full report on uh, on what the Lord did, and really the Lord did a lot while we were there and so uh, but that's that's going to be at a later time and um, today if you'd go ahead and open up in your bibles to acts chapter 2 we're going to continue on in our topic of discussing the reformation and i hope i hope that it's been as beneficial for you as it has been for me to think back about not just historical events you know history is important and all that kind of stuff but but really it's the it's the theological conversation that was going on the things that that these these men and women wrestled with and they determined in their own mind were were worth dying for they were worth being excommunicated from the church over these things they they were worth a long thought and 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 really the giving of of one's life for these things and so I think it's worth it for us to look back and think about these same things. And so I hope that, um, that it's been as beneficial for you in that regard as it has been for me to think about topics regarding salvation and, and maybe in, to, to a degree of depth that we've never thought about it before, possibly. And not just salvation, but the Christian life and the nature of the Bible and the nature of, of, um, of this, this Christian life that we have and what it means to be uh, a church and all of those things. I think the, the topics that we've been looking at have been very uh, important for us to talk about. And today we're going to talk about really the priorities that kind of shook out at the end of the Reformation, things that were, that were important for the Reformers uh, towards the end of the Reformation, and, uh, and so the outcome, the, the, the priorities that, that, that uh, arose from the Reformation time. And before we get to that topic where we're talking about history and we're talking about their theological discussions and all those things, we want to start in the book of Acts, and we want to talk about the new church and some things that they prioritized, some things that according to our passage here in Acts chapter 2, some things that they valued and were, were very important to them and that will kind of lay a foundation for us as we then go 1500 years into the future and think about what was important to the reformers and and their lives there and so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 and of course you know Acts chapter 2 starts off really with uh, with the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit so really it's the birth of the church in a very new way and uh, there were there were miracles being done and there were there were there were tongues as a fire visible over people's heads and there was a sound of rushing wind and and there was a lot of stuff going Going on where God was making it evident that he was taking up residence with his church in the form of his Holy Spirit and the person of his Holy Spirit. And so um, that's that's at the beginning. Well, people notice this stuff is all going on. And so they they start asking questions of the of the disciples and and they stand up and they start preaching and people are hearing them preach in all their different languages that the, the speakers didn't know these languages. And and there's some discussion about whether it was a change of the words that the the, the apostles were speaking or whether it was a, a miracle that happened with Within the ear that people were understanding foreign languages, but understanding it as their own, I, I, I don't know, and that's that's not really our topic of our discussion. But it was miraculous. It was from God. It was very clear that God was at work, and so people from all different language groups were hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own language, and so. Um, 
Peter gets, gets up and he preaches this very powerful sermon. And he preaches the gospel and brings, brings people to a point where they understand that they need to, uh, they need to repent of their sins. They need to trust in Christ. They need to be baptized and, uh, and, and, uh, and join the church essentially. And so, uh, that's, that's what's going on in, in the book of Acts or in chapter two of that, bringing us up to this point, which brings us to verse 41. And I want to, uh, focus uh, the rest of our discussion, or at least for the, until we get to the, the Reformation discussion, on verses 41 through 45. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And, of course, it goes on there. And The book of Acts is incredible. If you've not read the book of Acts or not read it recently, it's worth reading because God was at work in such amazing ways and he did all kinds of things and the church was growing and expanding and experiencing difficulty and how to overcome that. And, and uh, really, it's, it's a, uh, a great read that will be encouraging to your own spiritual life. We're just going to focus on these verses, though, as we're talking about the priorities of the early church. What did they prioritize? This brand new church, the church had just been born, and what did they prioritize? Well, first of all, we see that they prioritized doctrine, the apostles' teaching. They, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And so that, that, was, that was something that they were continually thinking about was doctrine. That was, that was first on their agenda. You know, Jesus had spent three years with his disciples training them and teaching them. And, and then think about the Great Commission at, uh, at the, you know, the, the end there of, of Matthew. He says, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so he had spent time teaching and ministering with them. And he said, go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them what I have taught you. And so it's no surprise that they would focus on doctrine. And they did. They spent their time thinking about and talking about the teaching that the apostles were passing on from Jesus, from the Old Testament, passing on to the New Testament church. And so they, they, they focused on that. The word here, devoted, uh, is, is an ongoing kind of word. It's the idea that they lingered long over it. They spent time there. They devoted themselves to it. They were always thinking and talking about this topic of doctrine. And so then I flash forward to our day and think about topics of doctrine. You know, not many of us love to linger long over doctrine. Not many of us love to linger long over, uh, you know, over theological topics and understanding the word in uh, in that way. We, it's not it's not real common. And and more than that, more than not just being common, there there are actually some circles who would tell you that's actually kind of dangerous to focus too much on doctrine because you're going to develop what they call a dead orthodoxy, meaning you know so much but you don't really live out any of it, and so in their estimation, better not to know that. I think, I think that's missing the boat a little bit. And, and in the new church, they, they spent their time focusing on thinking about Christ's teaching. What did Jesus teach? Well, he taught a lot. And he passed it on to his disciples, and they spent their time teaching. 
Doctrine's important. And we're going to see when we, when we flash forward 1500 years, we're going to see that doctrine was important for the church in the Reformation era too. Theological conversation, talking about what is and is not true from scripture, what the Bible does and does not teach. It's important. It's important for us to understand that. And the New Testament church understood that and they focused on that. They spent their time, they dedicated their time, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we want to do the same. I want to do the same thing. I want to, I want to learn from what the disciples, what the apostles did. I want to take that to heart and I want that to be true of me and I want that to be true of us as a congregation that we would devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to community, right? Fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Fellowship, naturally, we think of food, and, and that's fine, but, but fellowship is a lot more than that. Like, we do like to eat when we come together, and, you know, eating when we come together is a beneficial thing. It breaks down barriers, and we get to, you know, relax together and stuff like that. But, but fellowship means to share something in common. It means it's something more than, than just the relationship. It's sharing something beyond that, but it expresses itself in your relationship. And that's, that's what fellowship is. And if you think about this group, they they were they, they they consisted of people who had followed Jesus throughout his ministry and 3000 other people who had gotten saved that day you know the, the the things they had seen they had heard the rushing wind they had seen the tongues of fire and wondered what in the world that means they had heard you know uh the the disciples speaking in their foreign language they had heard Peter preach. They had a lot in common, and it was all centered around the faith. It was all centered around Christ. And so they spent time together, and I, you know, I, I, I wish I could peek into their conversations to see what they would talk about. You know, people who knew Jesus and had watched him, uh, walked with him, ministered, ministered with him, saw him crucified, saw him raised, right? And, and now they've experienced Pentecost. I wonder what they talked about when they got together. I bet it was centered around those things. If you've just witnessed the, the central event in all of history, I, I can imagine that's what you would talk about. So they devoted themselves to fellowship. They spent time, they lingered long together. And I can imagine that they would do that. And, and I think about, you know, I love to spend time with Christians. I love to fellowship with believers. But very often for me, and I'm, I'm not alone, very often it's easy for our conversation to be on other things not the gospel or not Christ or not what God's doing in our lives or not the teaching of the apostles. It's easy for us to talk and think about other things that are more, I don't know, entertaining or or I, it's just easy for us to talk about those things, lighter things. And uh, and so the, the challenge I take from this when I read this is to, is to f- spend my fellowship time talking about the Lord and talking about what he's doing, talking about this great salvation that we have talking about what it means to be believers, talking about what it means to be redeemed, what it means to be God's children. And so I, I want to spend my time in fellowship, thinking and talking in those terms, and so you can keep me accountable to that, and I will keep you accountable to that. Let's do that. Even in our Sunday school class, we're talking about ministering to one another. We're talking about the nature of relationships, that so often we go into relationships because we you know, we like someone or we avoid this relationship because we don't like that person or whatever. And, and the fact is, as children of God, we are called into fellowship with one another. And so our level of conversation, our level of relationship, our level of fellowship is not at the level of, hey, we like the same sports team or whatever. It's on the level of Christ. 
which changes, by the way, if, if you and I don't like each other, and that's possible. Just imagine in your minds, you know, someone that might not like me, it's weird. But, it, but, but, but imagine that's you, and maybe you don't have to imagine. But if we are both in Christ, we are called into fellowship with each other. That doesn't mean we have to like each other on that level. But it means we are called to fellowship and relate with each other on the level of Christ. And so they devoted themselves to fellowship, and, and we want to do the same thing. We are Parkside Bible Fellowship, after all. They devoted themselves uh, to more than that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread. And, of course, that meant that they ate together a lot. But Jesus had just told them not too long before, you know, every time you eat this and every time you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So he had, he had passed on to them and told them they were to be reminded of the truth of his own, uh, the new covenant in his blood every time they ate together. That when they, as, as often as they would do that, they were supposed to remember him. And so they devoted themselves to that. And I can imagine it was very informal. They didn't have, you know, uh, cool plates and stuff like we do, and they didn't have a, a liturgy written out, you know, but they remembered Jesus saying it. They remembered Jesus doing it, and here they were gathered together. And I'm sure they celebrated the Lord's death and his return when they did that. So they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to communing with each other on that level and communing with God on that level devoted themselves that's a that's a lot of commitment that's a lot of commitment we we talked a couple weeks ago about the uh about the lord's supper and how the reformers thought about it and talked about their different different perspectives on it and 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 different reformers insisted on certain things being true and others different things and and so um but it was a worthy topic of discussion for them they wrote books on this they they Debated this. They spent their lives talking about the Lord's Supper because it was that important to them. They were devoted to it. And so in, in our day and age, I think we could, we could learn a lesson from that. That this is a blessed time that we get to come together and celebrate the Lord's table together. This is something that He has done for us. He instituted for us. It's something that we do to commemorate Him. And we get to do that together. And so I, I want to be more devoted to this. I want to, to th- prepare more. I want to think more about this. I want to be devoted to it the way the New Testament church was. And I like eating with you. And my connect group, we eat together. And it's a blessed time. We love you know eating each other's food together. And that's fellowship. And we fellowship together. And so we get to celebrate that today. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to the prayers. There would have been regularly scheduled prayer times at the temple, and they were there in Jerusalem to begin with, so they probably would have attended those and uh, and made it a priority, scheduled themselves to be participating in those prayer times. But now, can you imagine the, the change, the fulfillment in their minds when they went to the temple and they realized the sacrifice is going on here? <laughs> That's not the sacrifice. The sacrifice that paid for me is Jesus. And, and when we pray to the Father, we get to do, do so through Jesus Christ, knowing that He hears our prayers because we are in Christ, that we have that privilege of coming to Him in that way. And so they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer would have been an amazing thing. If you would think about what praying was like, you know, before Jesus, and then what praying was like after Jesus had already uh, died and then, and then uh, come back to life and, and ascended to the Father, it would have been amazingly different. We get to, if you think about prayer, we get to bring our requests, our pains, 
our suffering, our needs, even our desires before the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things. He holds all things together. He keeps their planets in their orbit and he keeps our heart beating and all of that. And we get to come to him and, and ask of him. That's a privilege. That's a privilege and we get to do that, right? Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he modeled for them how to pray and often he would pray all night. So they, they knew how to pray. Sometimes we don't pray. Maybe even a lot of times we don't pray. We kind of avoid it. And if you think about it, what, what happens when we avoid prayer, whether because we get too busy or we just don't think about it or it's not a value for us or we feel guilty before God or whatever the, whatever the reason is that we don't pray, God still works, but we just miss out on it. We don't see it. We don't see the answer because we weren't looking for it. We, we ourselves aren't changed by prayer if we don't pray. That's the biggest thing I think. The, uh, one, one, of the, one of the things that amazes me about prayer is that when I bring my requests, and they might be world-level requests like persecution of Christians around the world, that's a big, big deal. Bring that to God. What's God going to do with that? I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do with that. But when I bring it to him, I'm, I, I'm bowing the knee to him and saying, what you choose to do in this world-level situation, I will submit to and so it changes me. It brings me in, into submission to God himself when I pray. And, and, and when I don't pray, God still does the things that God's going to do, but I miss out on it. I don't even catch it. It's not on my radar. And I wasn't changed by praying for it. And so uh, prayer is a, a big deal that we get to we get to uh, participate in. But it won't happen unless we schedule it. We doesn't just... Some people naturally break into prayer like they stub their toe and, or, or whatever. Like I remember when, when, uh, when Sue Streck fell and broke her shoulder. She was praising the Lord all the way down, praying all the way down, and then she was on the ground praising the Lord. I hear, I have, I've heard witnesses say it's exactly what she was doing. But that's not me, okay? When I, you know, if I fall and broke my shoulder, I, you know, I hope it would be okay. I would trust the Lord with that, but... Prayer, concentrated prayer doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. You have to schedule a time. You have to, it has to be a value for you to such an extent that you are willing to get up a little bit early or go to bed a little late or forego something so that you can spend concentrated time in prayer. And uh, we, we as a church do this, by the way, on every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We get together and we pray, and we pray for you. And we pray for needs, and we pray for missionaries. We pray for our own issues and our own families or our own struggles. We pray for people that we uh, long to see come to know the Lord. We, we pray for people who are going through health crises and all that stuff. We, we do that. We set aside time, 7 o'clock every Wednesday, and, and you're all welcome. We might have to change rooms we do it in, but you're all welcome. We would love to have you there for that. That's, that's, uh, uh, that's what it's intended for. We have scheduled times of prayer. We want to devote ourselves more and more to prayer, and the early church did that. They spent time, they lingered long in prayer. Have you ever prayed all night? I had a friend come and visit me in, in uh, Texas one time. Actually, it was, it was Paul Sabino came to pick me up. They, you know, he and John Duncan, they drove down from the Midwest all the way down a thousand miles down to Texas to pick me up to drive home. <laughs> so they, they weren't really on the way, but they swung by to pick me up. And when they got there, we, 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 laughed and hugged and everything else, had dinner. And then we circled up in the living room and we prayed. And then the sun came up and we were still praying. 
And that, that's a blessed, glorious time. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's not normal for me, by the way. I'm not, that's definitely not normal for me. But they devoted themselves to prayer. But there's more than that. So we see verse 42, we see, see those, uh, those four things that they were committed to. But then what do you see happening in verse 45? They were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The church broke forth into service for one another. Even sacrificial service. They were selling their property so that they could give sacrificially to those brothers and sisters around them who were in need to meet their needs. This isn't, this isn't socialism. This wasn't instituted from on high and it wasn't nationwide and it wasn't, you know, that, that kind of stuff. This was, this was believers seeing other, other believers in need and saying, I can meet that need. It's going to mean I have to sell something, but I'm willing to do that so that I can meet that need. They ministered to each other that way. They served each other. That's a, that's a deep level commitment to one another. That's a, that's a working of God in your life that you would be willing to sacrifice to that level for the good of another person. Not as a loan or anything like, you know, but it was for the good of other, to meet other people's needs. They gave of, of themselves, even sacrificially. And, and I can testify, I'm the recipient of the sacrificial giving of you all in, in many ways. When we were missionaries, Parkside supported us heavily. And now I'm on staff, and the Lord uses you all to pay my salary. So I praise the Lord for that. I, we just got back from Africa, and, and it was gifts from the body, gifts from believers that made it possible for us to go to Africa and go and minister in, in, in that place. And we have a trip upcoming, and the Lord will use you to meet those needs. By the way, we're, not, we're going to Peru now, not... not uh, um, we're, yeah, we were going to go to Puerto Rico, but now we're going to go to Peru. So that changed. I think that may have changed actually while we were gone. Our funds are not all in for that. We still we still have some bills to pay in that regard. We're still a few thousand, several thousand dollars short for the Peru trip. So if the Lord lays it on your heart to sell a property, <laughs> obey Him. But uh, I'm not twisting your arm. I'm just trying, you know. But it would be great. You know, we wouldn't turn it down. We'd praise the Lord for it. And, and um, but they they devoted themselves to these kind of things. They were, they were self-sacrificial for the good of believers around them. It, it, the, these things that they did together broke out into taking care of one another. And it's, I think we could learn a lot from the priorities that we see in the first church, right? By the time we get to the, to the medieval church, 1,500 or so years later, the course had, had changed a lot, and the emphases in the church had changed a ton. And so we want to go 1,500 years into the future. We want to talk about the priorities of the Reformation Church, and there would be a lot. We could talk a long time about the advances and the changes, the things that happened in the church as a result of the Reformation. We've already talked about a ton of them. Many of them are up here with the solas, and, uh, and, um, and, and that's really where we start. When the priorities of the Reformation Church, first of all, is a return to a biblical gospel. That's the primary, primary value and priority that they had, right? We, we look up here at the, at the solas. We've talked about the gospel and the recovery of the gospel, and that's the, the main and the biggest uh, change and uh, blessing and priority that has come out of the Reformation time is a renewed emphasis on the true gospel of how one can be saved. We talked about justification. We talked about how that all plays out. We talked about all these different areas and, and how, they, uh, how they fit into uh, understanding the truths of the gospel. And so the, the five solas were uh, really an effort 
uh, a focus by the reformers to, to, to keep us understanding truths about the gospel because the gospel had been lost and the gospel is critical. And so a huge value that they had was on a, a biblical understanding and a biblical presentation of the gospel. How do we uh, attain favor with God? How do we find peace with God? How can I be declared righteous before God? That has to be clarified. That has to be clarified. We can't, we can't speak in vague terms about, about things like that. We're talking about eternal souls. We're talking about whether we are or are not right with God. We have to understand those things. We have to be very clear about what we mean when we talk about the gospel. We need to be very clear in presenting the gospel to other people, what we really mean when we talk about the gospel. And so we see, obviously, it was a huge em- uh, emphasis for them. It was a priority for them was the gospel. It needs to be a priority for us. It needs to be a priority for us. Our uh, our day and age, the uh, evangelical church really, really needs to think about what the gospel is and is not, really needs to return to Scripture, really needs to think about and talk about and wrestle through what really is going on in the gospel so that we can understand it and so we can present it. So biblical view of the gospel. Next is, a, is biblical doctrine. Uh, they they focused on doctrine of scripture the teaching of scripture one one uh, one person commented during this time that said the, uh, the 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 reformed knows what he believes and why and that was like a new idea in the in in that day and age to to be clear doctrinally clear from scripture not because you read Thomas Aquinas or not because you read some theologian who had come before you and you you understood him well but because you dove into the bible you understood the bible and other other theologians are helpful in understanding that but but this is the authority not Thomas Aquinas or not even Augustine or or any other theologian it's the bible that's the authority and so they wrestled with it and when they had a question about what does the lord's supper mean they dove into scripture to to figure out what it means when they when they asked questions about what's the gospel they dove into scripture and what about the sinfulness of man and what about any question they dove into scripture to find the answers in the bible they emphasized doctrine they wanted to turn to return to biblical doctrine not the way it had been where it was kind of vague and you know refer to the theologian before you who referred to the theologian before him and who knows how long ago it was that they got off the tracks but to go back to the scripture before the reformation there had been a huge gap between the people the people and the bible there was a gap between them there was a the uh the people didn't have a Bible. The Bible wasn't even in their language. And the, the priest actually didn't... We're going to get into priesthood and stuff like that. But the, the priest didn't even understand it necessarily all that much better than you. Except that he had the job of, of kind of being the keeper of it. But he didn't really get it either. And so uh, there, was a, there was a return emphasis on studying the Bible. And they talked... They started preaching exegetical sermons. Where you go from verse to verse and word to word. To, to point at this is where we... This is, this is what this means. So people began to understand, wow, we can interpret the Bible. We can interpret it right there. This is what it means. And, and, and so exegetical sermons helped with that. There were commentaries that were written. Uh, people began to understand that they could nourish themselves from the Bible. It was at this time that it was beginning to be published more and more. Luther, one of the big things he did was translate the Bible into German. And they still use his translation today. And so that, that was a big deal to get the Bible into the hands of the people. Biblical doctrine. 
Another emphasis was the biblical clergy. When they talk about clergy, they talk about people in the ministry, uh, you know, the, the, what used to be the, the priests and whatnot. There had been uh, a great cynicism in, in the church uh, regarding the uh, clergy because the clergy got certain tax benefits and things like that. But they were re- and, and, and they had a, a privileged position within the church, but they were ignorant. They, di- they didn't know what they should have known, and there was a lot of corruption as far as the, the, the people themselves, the men themselves, and the way they behaved. So there developed a great cynicism regarding the clergy. And the times of the Reformation really focused on, okay, what are the positions, what are the, the biblical leadership roles in the church that the Bible talks about and, and uh, prescribes, and what has been later invention? Let's get rid of the later invention and let's go back to what the Bible says. And so they started having pastors and they started having elders and they started having deacons. They started focusing in that regard on, uh, on the leadership that should have been there. And what did, the, what did the clergy do? What were the pastors supposed to do? They were supposed to teach the Bible. That had not been the case previously before the Reformation. And now they were taught to teach the Scripture. What does that do? Well, that, that keeps... That does a lot of things, but one of the things it does is keeps the preacher on the rails. Because if I preach something that's contrary to what's in here, it's obvious that I have deviated from what God said. I'm open to correction because only Scripture is the authority. And so, um, so that there was a return uh, of a biblical clergy. Also, there was a return to a biblical laity meaning laymen, the people who were not clergy, right, in the church. There was, a, there was an emphasis on what's known as the priesthood of the believer. That means that you yourself, as a redeemed person, you can go straight to God and you can pray. You don't need a priest to come to. You don't, you don't have to go and confess your sins to a priest or, or, or approach God through a priest. You have Jesus Christ as your Savior, our great high priest, and so you can go directly to Him. Likewise, you can read the Bible for yourself. That doesn't mean that you set aside the, the teaching of the church or the teaching of the elders or anything like that, but you can be nourished yourself from the reading of Scripture. Can you imagine if that were not the case? Think of all the Bibles you've got on your shelf and, and on your phone and, and get rid of them all. What would life be like? How would your spiritual life be different? And so there was a biblical... A return to a biblical idea of the laity. There's also a biblical idea of piety. In the, in the Roman Catholic Church leading up to this point, you kind of had a divergent road. You had some people for whom the Christian life consisted of rituals that you did. Be, by virtue of the fact that you belonged to the church, that meant that God looked at you in a certain way, and that was really all you needed to do in order to, uh, to live the Christian life as, as it was supposed to be lived. That was, one, that was one aspect of the church. Do these rituals. It's external. It's all out here. And the other was more of a retreat from that. You think of, you think of the, the monks, right? They retreated from society. You know, they spent all their time in meditation and prayer. They looked in here. They were, it was very introspective. It was very personal. It was very retreating from society. We go away into a, you know, uh, into a, a monastery in the mountains somewhere so that we can become holy. Right? And so you retreat. It's very personal. And so if you're, you know, how much time can you take off of your job to go retreat into a monastery in the mountains to become holy? And so uh, it kind of left people, regular people, kind of in the, in the middle. But for the reformers, piety was a very different thing. 
for the reformers, faith came by hearing, and hearing came by the Word of God. So your piety, your personal religious practice, your own spiritual growth started from the preaching of of the Word. The preaching of the Word. So right now is feeding into your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so... So it's, it's, a, it's a, a preaching is the beginning of and feeding into your own spiritual life so that your personal spiritual life, your personal spiritual growth is a development of that. It's a, it, it grows out of that. As you uh, one, one writer noted that you're kind of snacking along the way on the feast that you got on Sunday. Throughout the week, you're kind of snacking on what you had. And so it, it's, it, it grows out of this, this public uh, thing that we do when the word is preached, we take communion together, people are baptized, you know, those sorts of things that feeds into our faith and that grows our faith. Uh, so we're not secluded somewhere in a monastery, navel gazing, nor are we doing dead rituals, but we're learning from the word of God. We are ourselves being strengthened through the Lord's Supper and, and those sorts of things. And so it changed what piety looked like and uh, and made it a, a more biblical picture of growing in our faith and the importance of the preached word and and understanding what the Bible says and things like that. So that's a, that's kind of an overview of of what they believed, what the what the priorities were for them. And so there were a lot of outcomes of the Reformation, but I think these uh, that we've looked at this morning are are important for us to understand because they have relevance for us when we think about our own day and age. We think about our own Christian life. We think about what we value. The things that they valued should resonate and they should sound very familiar. But in many ways, we've also kind of gotten off the path when I think about the evangelical church. Think about, uh, you know, the things I... Poor Facebook, you know, poor Facebook. I'm always ripping on Facebook because you can read a lot of really bad theology on Facebook, you know. And I know Facebook's not the source of that, but but you can see it there. And, And so we... We want to value these things that they valued. You know, a biblical understanding of the gospel, that better be central for us. A, a biblical understanding of doctrine, understanding what the Bible teaches, that needs to be central for us. It was central for the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The reformers saw it as central. They, they devoted themselves to it, and, and we want to devote ourselves to it as well. As well as biblical definitions of, of what it means to be clergy, what it means to be laity, and what it does not mean. Right, that the the uh, the authority that the church had to rule in people's lives is not a biblical kind of authority because the the authority comes from the Word of God. So biblical definitions of those things, and then a biblical understanding of piety and what it means to walk with Christ. And so we get to come together. I know it's been a, a history lesson, but it has a lot of points of application. And one of the points of application is right here with the Lord's Supper. And so if, if the men who are going to serve will go ahead and come forward, please. As we draw near to the Lord's table today, we're going to celebrate the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. And we're going to remember together that the Lord instituted this ordinance for us for several reasons. For the perpetual mem- memory of His dying for our sakes and His pledge of His undying love. We're also going to see this, that this is a bond of our union with Him and each other as members of His mystical body. It's a seal of His promise to us, and it's a renewal of our obedience to Him. 
It's a blessed assurance of his presence for those of us who are gathered here in his name. He's here in our midst. It's an opportunity for us who love the Savior to feed on him spiritually, who is the bread of life. And it's a pledge of his coming again. And so this this is what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let's pray together. Father, we rejoice that we get to celebrate communion with your Son and with each other. Thank you for Jesus who offered his body and his blood for us. Willingly gave himself in our place that we might be made right with you. That we might become the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we as we enter into a time of contemplation, as we think about our own lives and think about what you've done for us. I pray that we would be quick to confess sin before you, quick to make things right, and quick to rejoice in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.